when we fall in love with someone else, we fall in love with an idea. We don't fall in love with a real person. And when time passes and we start seeing person for what they are, we have a choice. Are, they, are we going to love the real person? Are we going to be disillusioned? The same true is with us. And especially with people who come to personal growth and transformation who are interested in growing and becoming better, they're very often so enamored with that idea of, of aspiration of what I could be, that, that facing the real person, the reality, is just becomes unbearable. The bigger the gap, the, the harder it is to do that. So what I'm trying to say is that you have to find courage and face that real you, because once you face that real you, that will truly open the doors for you to become something so much bigger. That little nugget of wisdom was from Christina Mandlachiani. She is the co-founder of the platform called Mind Valley, which you may be familiar with on the internet. I don't know if you are like me, it pops up a lot in my feed, maybe because I care a lot about this personal transformation, um, growth mindset universe that I spend so much time on and we discuss here in the show. But she's the co-founder of that platform, which is, again, one of the world's most powerful life transformation learning platforms out there. She's also an entrepreneur, a writer. She speaks all over the place and she's a lovely artist as well. And today's episode is we go deep on the journey that we all have to go on to change our life. We talk about things like how to discover your own truth despite all of that external noise. We've talked a lot about that in this show, how whether it's your parents, your career counselor, the media telling you who you ought to be, what you ought to buy, think, be, and or become. In today's episode with Christina, we talk about how to excavate that stuff and get to your own truth. We talk a lot about, uh, as an extension of that, authenticity and how when you are not authentic, it actually saps your ability to grow and become the person or be on this journey of becoming the person that you want to always be. Uh, we talk a lot about perfectionism. So if that's something that you're, you're concerned with or if uh, it has a, a firm place in your past as it does mine, I was um, just reflecting earlier before we recorded about, man, I just, I always wanted to do good and be the best I could be. And when there was a gap between, you know, a perfect test score or winning the race and where I actually finished or the score, I actually got how that affected me deeply as a young person. Um, so our conversation around sort of the myth of perfectionism, um, that was a really profound bit of the show today. This and more in today's episode. Again, yours truly with Christina Mand-Lakiani. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by Outside. These are the fine people who bring you titles like Outside Magazine, Ski Magazine, The Yoga Journal, Climbing Magazine, Warren Miller Entertainment, and more. Now, here's the deal. When I was coming up as an action sports photographer, Outside Magazine was the place to get your photos published, and it still is today. To me, that's absolutely incredible, except now they also have lots of other ways to get your work out there in the world. Now, specifically what I wanna call your attention to today is that I am a judge for the inaugural Outside Awards, the Outside Photo and Film Awards. This is where you can win a ton of cash. If you are one of six
six finalists, you win $5,000 cash. And then if you are a people's choice winner, you win an extra $10,000 plus you get a ton of exposure, which I'll share with you just a second. But I do need to let you know that I'm judging this thing, right? I'm judging this alongside legends like Jimmy Chin. You probably know he's a legendary climber and photographer. He's also the director of the Oscar-winning documentary Free Solo. I'm also judging with climber Sasha DeJulian, skier Lindsay Dyer, and that legend Olympic gold medal skier Johnny Mosley. Now, in addition to getting your work seen by these judges, and in addition to this cash. Whether you're a photographer or filmmaker, you get a chance to get your stuff seen. The filmmakers, for example, the three top winners get to tour with the Warren Miller film for the entire winter and compete for that people's grand prize. So like right there, that's 100,000 people getting to see your film on the big screen. Now there's also all, all sorts of other perks like you get to appear in Outside Magazine, Ski Magazine. So the exposure to these judges, the prizes, the visibility as a photographer or a filmmaker is unheard of. Nothing like this existed when I was coming up and I think this is an amazing fast track for your career as a photographer or a filmmaker. Now, again, the punchline is there is some urgency here. You have to get your entries in by July 31st. That is a hard deadline. And how do you do it? That's a good question. Go to outsideonline.com slash awards. That's outsideonline.com slash awards. Don't delay. You got to get your stuff in by July 31st. Okay, now back to today's episode. Christina, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor and a pleasure. And as I shared uh, before we started recording, I've been reading your book and enjoying it very, very much. And so today I would love to, in addition to, to sharing with our watchers and listeners your story, the story of the book, I would love to have a, a wide ranging conversation about human imperfections and authenticity and uh, to kick that conversation off. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your background and uh, your recent work here with the book and uh, mm -hmm. just catch our audience up to speed with who you are and what you do. So my imperfect background, I think I'll, I'll give the, the official bio style background first. I'm a co-founder <laughs> of Valley, which is one of the world's biggest educational platforms in personal growth and transformation. Uh, but um, uh, that's, that's just the official part of it. Uh, actually, my, as I said, my background is a little bit imperfect. I was born in a country which doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> born and raised in a country which doesn't exist anymore and actually brainwashed into uh, into ideology, which is also not, not uh, up to date anymore. I was born in Soviet Union and I was 14 when it collapsed. So pretty much my, um, well, my, my personality was formed in that very idealistic and restrictive society. And, uh, you know, considering that now I'm an entrepreneur and also uh, I'm a co-founder of the business, which which is in personal growth and transformation. These two things were not part of my reality when I was growing up. Entrepreneurship was illegal. Uh, it was actually punished by law. Uh, you would end up in jail and personal growth was just frowned upon. It was something nobody, nobody would be doing things like that. It's just not practical. So the fact that I ended up in this uh, industry is uh, a little bit of a chance, a little bit of a 
I, I do not know, maybe just me going with the flow. Uh, I started my career in Estonia in uh, the government. I made my career really fast, partially because Estonia was going through a transformative period and uh, the country needed new blood. <laughs> Being a young person, I made my career super fast. And then I decided to do what uh, I thought a young girl is supposed to do. I got married <laughs> and followed my husband into a completely new world. I lived in New York as uh, during my first year of, uh, of uh, marriage and, and there everything turned around. Uh, I had to start everything from scratch pretty much. And that's how I ended up co-founding Mindvalley. I wasn't allowed to do anything else. My career was, uh, well, I ended it because it was Estonian government, <laughs> which was a bit useless in US. Uh, and um, the best thing I could do was to help my then husband, Vision, who is the uh, founder of Mindvalley, to, to help him with his uh, startup. And that's that's the beginning of the journey. And then since then, it's been 20 years now, uh, personal growth and transformation has become part of my life. <laughs> exactly. The, this, well, I feel like there's a um, a reasonable question when we hear this idea of personal growth and transformation, I'm obviously a huge advocate. Those are, you know, part of the founding sort of principles and the vision for the show and so much about me and my career as not, not dissimilar to yours. <clears throat> I'm curious about this, this, how do we reconcile the idea that, you know, that we are whole and complete and, um, and there is sort of nothing wrong with us. How do mm -hmm. we reckon, reconcile that, the ability just to be in our own skin with this desire for change and for growth? Mm -hmm. And, you know, those are seemingly competitive um, orientations. And, you know, this is a, an age old question, but I'm curious how you would approach something like that. I'm just, uh, I'm, so, help me understand yeah. it. It's a very it's a very deep question that will require probably a very deep dive into this whole thing, but I would give it surprisingly or maybe uh, unexpectedly simple answer. So when I, I live in Europe, I'm in Europe right now, and if I were to go to Paris, I could uh, sit in my car and put in um, Paris in my navigation system and start driving, but the navigation will not switch on until it finds out where I'm starting from. So that's how it works for me. Yes, uh, we want to, to change, we want to grow, we want to be become, become better, but it can't start from a random point somewhere in the, you know, in air. Uh, it has to start from, from the point A. Your journey always begins with point A and then goes to point B and probably it's a winding journey. So self-acceptance for me is not, uh, is not contradictory to the desire to change something you can actually feel at peace with what you have and uh, with that um, contentment, uh, know that you can become something else or you maybe can become more of what you are because who says that your growth and your strength comes from, uh, from eradicating things that you don't like about yourself. Maybe it's not necessarily this way. So the point is that being at peace with yourself or being present with yourself is not a contradictory desire from wanting to change something. And as I said, it is a fairly deep concept and it might require some nuances to, to uh, catch. And in, on the surface, it, seem, it seems uh, kind of contradictory. And that's, that's actually one of the diseases of our contemporary society. We like to stay on the surface. 
Mm. We don't like going deep. There's even research, which is probably 10 years old, if not older, that says that contemporary, contemporary people are not capable of holding uh, huge amounts of information. So books are out of fashion because people prefer, you know, microdosing. <laughs> and I mean, in, in, in terms of information, not in terms of psychedelics. <laughs> but that's, that's a huge problem. We stay on the surface. We stay on the facade level. Uh, but the essence of things happens when you are ready to dive deep. Well, clearly, um, with your childhood, right, you have had to do a lot of personal excavation being as you started your, <clears throat> you opened the show with rather that, you know, so much of your original identity, um, even the identity of, as you said, as a, a girl should get married, like these things have radically transformed, transformed across your life already. So how did you, what was the, the, the toehold? What was the thing that gave you, uh, you know, an insight that this was possible, especially given your background when you, you know, I'm sure there was some sort of conflict from a human perspective, you could feel these things. And yet, you know, all of these out external influences were signaling to you that change wasn't not permitted, wasn't possible or wasn't wasn't um, respected or appreciated or idealized. How did you, how did you even start? Because right now there's someone listening that maybe it's not because they were born into a foreign country that doesn't exist anymore, but because <laughs> all these, all these influences around them, you yeah. know, are, are there's seeds of doubt and uh, it's a curiosity of their identity with who they have been versus who they can be tomorrow. Well, um, my answer would be two, two phrases. One of them is ignorance bliss. The other one is the leap of faith. Uh, I do want to uh, put you guys at ease, <laughs> at peace. Uh, surviving the fall of Soviet Union wasn't a very traumatic experience for me, maybe because I was a teenager. And that's that time in life where we are discovering life. So uh, it, was, uh, it was not a shock for my system, although it was a shock for a lot of people who were a little older than me, uh, it, because... At that age, you're just wired to discover and to realize yeah. that it was maybe not what you thought it was. Now, when it comes to uh, the, the essence of your question, then uh, it is very, uh, the, the one thought that I had was that it's not that who you are to become is different from what you are. You mm. are that thing or that person, that, that creature. It's just that uh, very often by the age of, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, we built so many layers around that true essence that we forget what that person really is. So I think what I'm trying to drive people at is not that you have to become someone else. You have to first learn to be yourself. And then, then there is, that opens the door for you to become someone else, to change your life. And it's, it's, um, such a curious, uh, curious process because we are often afraid to go into what we are because we are enamored with the idea of what we could be. You know, uh, since you've read the book, you know, you know this analogy, when we fall in love with someone else, we fall in love with an idea. We don't fall in love with a real person. And when time passes and we start seeing person for what they are, we have a choice. Are, they, are we going to love the real person? Are we going to be disillusioned? The same true is with us. And especially with people who come to personal growth and transformation who are interested in growing and becoming better, they're very often so enamored with that idea of, of aspiration of what I could be, that, that facing the real 
person, the reality is just becomes unbearable. The bigger the gap, the, the harder it is to do that. So what I'm trying to say is that you have to find courage and face that real you, because once you face that real you, that will truly open the doors for you to become something so much bigger. Mm. But while you refuse to do that, you might be going in the very wrong direction and depriving yourself of a lot of, uh, a lot of power. Mm. Let's, let's ask a, a reasonably big question to get us in a little bit deeper into the material, because as you said, our culture is obsessed or either maybe obsessed is the wrong word, but comfortable with the surface. And, <laughs> and right now, you know, you have gone through this, you have, you've shared it at length in your book, Becoming Flossom and in courses that you've created, for example, and share with your community. But right now there's someone again, who's listening and, and what is a sort of a litmus test, if you would, or how did you come to discover or become aware that you needed change that you wanted something different than you were experiencing. Like what's the litmus test for people who are listening right now? Because again, we're so easily just like, Oh yeah, I'm fine. Or, you know, in the yeah. book you talk about like, how are the kids doing? Oh, the kids are fine. You know, like there's, there's these, we have these superficial questions and, and more when, when I talk to people, it's not, they're not so aware that something is, horribly wrong but there's this uneasy yeah. feeling in them and so i'm wondering maybe you if you could share how you you know discover this about yourself or if you could give some advice to others who are the, to the listeners right now the community like if you know x is happening then you might want to think about why well, uh, I'll, I'll give my story. I'll give some uh, advice as well. But uh, I would want to start with uh, with an idea that if you have the question, uh, I mean, usually if you have this weird feeling that something is not fine, that's the answer to the question that you just haven't asked yourself yet. Very often we are, we have the answer. And uh, the question comes a little later because the answer is already there. But now my story was uh, probably a Freudian slip and I start my book with that. It was a very uh, bizarre experience where I was traveling. And when I came back to the office, my friend said that she missed me. And I replied without a stop, I missed me too. And that phrase was so out of place and so strange and so weird that that started me on the journey of trying to find out what, what did I just say and why did I say that? But that was, in a way, a lucky chance because it was just such a out of pattern, you know, experience that it it made me think. Now, for people, usually how it uh, how how it um, shows itself is when you start feeling um, that what you're feeling is not right. You start judging yourself that what you're doing is not right. So a very simple scenario would be this, and it's my scenario as well, you know, midlife crisis. <laughs> you live your life by the book, you do all the right things, you check all the right boxes, and you have made it. Uh, and wh whatever that age is, you have made it, you have done what you thought. And, and of course, we have little things in our life that uh, irritate us. But if if we sit down and do it in a good state of mind, we are like, yeah, actually, my life is fine. I'm successful. Exactly what you're talking about. A lot of people, when they're listening to podcasts, they're in that mode because they're doing something good. We feel good about ourselves when we do something good. So you reach that point and you think that 
uh, and people tell you your life is an inspiration or you are an inspiration, but you don't feel maybe as happy or fulfilled and you think that something is missing. It's this crippling little feeling, which is not really a depression or anxiety, but it's something strange. And this is half the problem. The real problem is when you start feeling guilty for that. Mm. I shouldn't be feeling like that. How dare I? Why do I feel, why do I feel, uh, for example, uh, uninspired with my partner? I love my partner. I'm, uh, you know, I'm faithful to them. Or why do I feel uh, burdened by my kids or, uh, you know, jaded at my work, the thing that I love? All those things that you feel that you shouldn't be feeling because actually you've done everything right. This is usually a very uh, clear mark that you have got lost somewhere and you're not really in touch with yourself. And I know it sounds so fluffy, in touch with yourself, <laughs> but, but we, don't, we don't pause to, to ask ourselves, why do I feel the way I do? We brush it off, we move on. We keep ourselves busy doing other things rather than dealing with the big things. We all have big questions. We just, sometimes they're so overwhelming that rather than dealing with my own um, mess, it's much easier to get, to dive into work get stressed there, get anxiety there and say, I don't have time for everything else. So, you know, what I hear when, with that response is this, it's sort of, if you're wondering how you're feeling, then that is a signal. If you're, if there's a a sort of any sort of distance between, um, you know, the, the, the uh, event and the observing of the event you're like judge. It's it's almost like a, a a judgment that that is a reason to excavate or dig deeper or look closer. And what is your sense? You know, if let's just assume that we are aware that we are in this in this <laughs> predicament, mm-hmm. it takes some sort of courage to decide to pick at that, right. To look under the covers, because it's very inconvenient when you have to start working on your life amidst all of the other living of life's, you know, ups and downs. And, you know, in your, in your story, you recount in the book that, you know, as you said, when you came back from that trip, you, you asked that question and then it became something that was, you know, in your consciousness and you had to start exploring it. What was that process like? What was it like to begin, you know, looking under the covers, picking at your, you know, the relationship that you had to yourself and, you know, your, I would just call it your, your judgment of your level of authenticity. Um, it's, you, you you said you said the right thing. Uh, a lot of right things, obviously. There, the whole thing is right. But what I want to say is that you know everything starts with awareness, and uh, there are definitely other scenarios as well where people are so busy that they are not even aware that uh, they're living some scenario which is not going to make them happy at the end of the day. But that's not really uh, the people that I can talk to because I, I believe in free will, and I think uh, usually if you start asking questions, then then probably you are ready for the journey. So the question is not whether you're lost but are you ready for the journey back to yourself? Uh, and by no means am I trying to say that everybody is lost, but uh, my experience uh, in years have showed that uh, a lot of the people who are most lost are not aware of it because that's the nature of delusion. You are not aware of your delusion. Once you're aware of it, it stops being delusion. It becomes your problem to solve. Now, uh, 
And yes, it does require courage. And that's the thing, the first thing we go to because we think, uh, you know, it's this leap of faith. It's this step out of the airplane door over the parachute when you don't know what's down there. But it's not courage that saves you in that journey. It's the kindness. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes a huge difference. You don't even need that much courage once you have kindness. And this is such an undervalued skill because kindness actually opens the door to the biggest courage. And uh, let me explain what I mean. If you know that you can still be kind to yourself and love yourself, even if you're flawed, imperfect, if you fail, then you actually find the courage to go and challenge yourself. And that's something which we don't understand. We sometimes think it's the reverse that, oh, but if I'm too nice to myself, am I not going to be just, uh, you know, just complacent? No, you're complacent because you're scared. We, we as a society function on two really horrible myths that people are by nature stupid and lazy, and it's not true. We are neither stupid nor are we lazy. We're very often just overwhelmed, burnt out, exhausted, and wounded. And that's why we do the silly stuff. Mm. And if you just trust a little bit yourself, you will discover like a very simple example. Have you been uh, like on a holiday, week-long holiday somewhere on a beach, paradise location? The first day you enjoy it, you're savoring it. The second day, by day five, you're like, when am I coming back to the office? Yeah. And I think if we, yeah. if we just learn to trust ourselves and nobody teaches us to trust ourselves, nobody, my industry doesn't do that. We, we also say, well, let me fix you. Entertainment doesn't do that. News don't do that. Nothing. Marketing doesn't do that. We're not, we are told not to trust ourselves. So how do we begin to trust ourselves? To me, this is like one of the most fascinating questions. It's been a I've been on this quest for for so long. We have all these this wisdom inside us, this thing that we're told not to trust, this, this intuition, these gut feelings. We've, you know, there's starting to be science that sort of acknowledges that all these different experiences are stored in the body, and we have to begin to listen. But how do we find our truth when we've got all these competing? You talked about marketing and entertainment and news and your grandparents and your mother who's judging you and your <laughs> peers and your boss. And these are all external influences, right? That are, that are critics. Yeah. And so how do we, in the face of all of that external noise, start to find our own truth? Where, how did you do it? And, and again, give us some advice on how so, we ought to do it. I'll have to I'll have to like unwind that question and I hope I don't lose my thoughts somewhere in the middle <laughs> because I'm prone to ranting. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, um I think the core principle is that there is one very important relationship in your life and that's relationship with yourself. We have a lot of relationships and relationships in general have some similar rules. Relationships usually require some time. Build a trust requires time to build trust. If you think of building trust with someone else, you know, you require some time. You need to have this dance a little bit. Like, let me, let me see. Can I trust you? Can I not, you know, back and forth. And then after a while you, that feedback tells you that, yes, I can trust that person. So when it comes to trusting yourself, just by analogy with the relationship, it will require some time because the relationship that you have with yourself right now has been built over all this long time. And just like any other relationship, relationship requires commitment. It requires 
presence. It requires some kind of compassion, even for yourself. Relationship with your lover, with your child, with your colleagues, all of them require all those things. And if you work on them or not, I don't like the word work because it's so heavy, but let's say if you are committed to them, if you value them, if you pay attention to them, if you prioritize their relationships, they start flourishing. Normally, that's that's the way, the nature of relationships. If you take a relationship by default, oh, that person is always in my house, no matter what I say, oh, yes, we fought, never mind, we'll be uh, good again. Then they usually start deteriorating. And uh, at some point they can fail. So it's the same is true with us. The problem with us is that we deprioritize our relationship with ourselves for many reasons, partially because we think that I, I call it self-love because it's a little bit in your face and it's a little bit jarring. But in essence, we are afraid of that. We think if I if I prioritize myself or my relationship with myself, people will think that I'm selfish, that I'm self-obsessed and all those horrible things. So we, first of all, we are afraid. We're afraid to admit that it is important for me. My relationship with myself is important for me. And another thing is that we don't understand how it works. What is self-love? You know, is uh, is your obsession with being approved or approval from outside, is that about self-love? Uh, is your, uh, you know, is, is your uh, desire to, to, to have boundaries and to be comfortable, is that about, you know, being selfish? All these things are so undiscussed <laughs> and yeah. not normalized that rather than, rather than digging into that, we just push it to the side and say, no, find meaning, help other people. That's more important. Now, I've uh, something I haven't shared with the audience, I've dedicated the first 10 or maybe even 20 years of my life to charity. I've worked with some of the most marginalized society in the world, in Asia, in South America. And I can tell you one thing. You're much more useful to the world if you are fine. It's like in the airplane. You have to put on your uh, mask first. So that's in essence, one of the nice and palatable ways of running away from the big problem, the problem of you abandoning yourself and betraying yourself. And that's that's really the essence of that work. Now, if you find courage to prioritize your relationship with yourself, be present, committed to yourself, be kind to yourself, compassionate, then the trust will come sooner or later. But it will take some time to build. because. You know, however old you are, I'm 45, 45 years of building that relationship and <laughs> most of that time messing up big time. Well, this is so refreshing for you to share that, you know, that you've had a difficult journey. You mentioned 45 years in relationship with yourself and it sort of doesn't matter, right? Where it's sort of like in the same way, wherever you are. Or wherever you find yourself at, that's where you are, and you, you have to start there. And I'm trying to to frame this for our listeners, like because right now there's someone who's saying who's lamenting or is sad at the how long they have not been in a healthy relationship with themselves for however you know they've been betraying themselves, um, or and it seems like one of the first things that we have to do is get over that because it's that is a barrier that seems to me to keep so many people from mm-hmm. that that first sort of acceptance there's this this like lamenting and the way i talk about it is no effort is ever wasted nothing even if you put in years of effort 
and it was down a path that seems like the wrong path. You, you know, valued other people more than yourself, or you did things that were harmful to yourself or the people you love. At some point, that actually became the most useful thing because it brought you to now. It brought you to where you are, where you're willing to start the work, to start the self-care, to start the self-love or whatever it is yeah. that, you know, and, and so I'm wondering you and you're just, you, you sort of jested a little bit. It seemed like, you know, I'm 45 years old and, you know, so much of those years are, are screwing up the relationship <laughs> that I have with myself. I'm wondering if you can, through your, your own experiences, maybe share something that helps people understand how you became aware of this requirement for change. Well, the, the easy first step is uh, just show yourself some kindness, mm-hmm. real kindness, like profound kindness. It's like with anyone, you know, you, you find that abandoned kitten on the street and you, you just give it a hug. And then you'll wash it and feed it and whatnot. So maybe maybe the hug is the first thing that you need to give yourself. Now, coming to my story, uh, I a few times I've been asked that question: What would what advice would I give myself, uh, my younger self? And every time I think about it, I come to the same conclusion: I wouldn't. Mm, say more. Because. It, it, then I could have messed up this journey and ended up somewhere else. So the thing that helped me was I had one really turbulent, emotionally very turbulent period in my life. I was I had self-diagnosed anxiety and whatnot. <laughs> and what helped me move on from that period were, uh, well, first the, the quote, which, which I'm constantly misquoting by Viktor Frankl, who says, pain stops being suffering when it's, once it finds meaning. So uh, I, I remember thinking about myself and thinking, how did I allow myself to suffer for such a long time? And then when I realized that that had brought me to, uh, or giving me the experience that I needed to do certain things in my life or to become a certain person in my life, I actually, I became at, uh, I was at peace with that, with, with that painful period of my life because I realized that it was a necessary price for that kind of journey. And I'm not saying, by the way, by no means am I saying that every all the transformation requires any pain. No, but if you've had pain in your life, there is a way, there is a way to turn it uh, to your advantage, no matter what the pain, even if the pain doesn't have a silver lining or, uh, you know, we, we, we also enamored by this idea, what doesn't kill you makes you strong. It's, it's not true or that everything comes for a reason. Everything doesn't come for a reason. There's a lot of, a lot of, buzz out there which is not necessary but what is important is that you can make a choice coming back to the same victor frankel he was writing his book uh, men in search for meaning is written about people who were who survived the nazi concentration camps or didn't survive and he says that even in those circumstances when you think that you have no choice whatsoever you always have a choice and it is the choice that you make that uh, defined whether you would survive it or not so if even he in this kind of circumstances says you always have a choice, then it is truly it is truly always in our hands to choose. And that actually brings me back to, to one of the comments you said that, you know, we are so afraid of, of what society will say, or our peers, or our family. They have our uh, they have expectations towards us. But you know, they stay somebody else's expectations until we choose to sign under them. Mm-hmm. So 
I, I know I've lived for 16 years in Malaysia. I know there are some more restrictive societies. But even in those circumstances, you always have a choice. And pretty much, no matter how restrictive the society is, it's your choice to follow the expectations of society, of your family, of your children, of your peers, and, and, and make them your own choice and your own expectations, or to actually say, this is not about me. Mm -hmm. This is a major step, right? This, the ability to distance those voices that are in your head that you feel like they certainly started out of someone that has someone else's and they have become your own. You have to be able to put a little awareness on them and ask yourself, you know, is this really me? And when you begin to understand through self-love, compassion, these things that you're talking about, self-care, that recognize that they're actually, those aren't you. And it's sort of, there's this freedom that I, I, became, I became very clear in reading the book with about your story when you sort of start to unlock these things. And I think this is what people miss. They miss this, um, some sort of a, um, there's, there's, uh, there's this, uh, there's, it seems like there's an unlock. There's a moment where you finally, maybe it's just once, just a little bit of trust. You trust yourself, you listen to your intuition. And it's, if once you do it once, it becomes 1% easier. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, then you do it again. And you, there's this sort of a momentum that builds in starting to trust yourself and starting to believe and listen. And again, you mentioned through self-care. But then there's this thing that crops up and it's perfectionism. Right? <laughs> we, we start to, we start to then we get a little momentum and that's when, you know, the voices of self-doubt, when they see progress, <laughs> they get louder, you mm. know? And then, then they said, oh, well, gosh, you, you know, you're supposed to be perfect. And boy, wouldn't it be scary if someone else found out a therapist, a husband, a partner, <laughs> a, partner a peer, a friend that you didn't actually have your shit together. Oh, but they but know that. Tell me more. It's an illusion to think that you can fool anyone, but everybody knows everything. about. No, they don't know everything about you. They probably don't even think about you too much. Most people don't think about other people too much, but it's a, it's a, a very interesting, elaborate illusion. We think that we can fool the people that we love. You know, when my mom, we have this very interesting relationship with my mom. Sometimes she gets upset with me, but she is, you know, a little bit old school. So she wouldn't say that because she wants, she thinks I have to, I have to figure it out. You know how we speak in, in hints to each other. So we have these uh, experiences sometimes that I would ask her, why are you upset? She's like, I'm not upset. I'm like, why upset? I, I can tell you upset. She's no, I haven't said anything. Why do you think I'm upset? I'm like, because I feel how you breathe. She's like, oh, damn you. You always know me. So we think that we can we can cheat the world well maybe the world is not so important we actually do care about our loved ones more than anyone else and usually if we uh choose to stay in a relationship which is is not good for us we do that for the sake of people that we love mm -hmm. without realizing that they suffer our sacrifice is a huge burden for our loved ones to carry and we we very often we do that to feel better to feel better about ourselves. I'm not going to hurt you. 
That's that's what motivates us to to take choices which are detrimental to us because we think we do it for someone else. That whole idea of altruism is actually very often so upside down and mistreated, and as the same as sacrifice. It's a huge burden. Our sacrifices, our love, are very often a huge burden. We really should let our loved ones free, and we should ask for that freedom for ourselves to choose. How do we begin then to transform from the perfect you or the perfect us, the perfect we? How do we begin to transform from the perfect to the real? So the inauthentic to the authentic. You know, nobody is really perfect. If people think they are, they are very delusional. And, you know, probably they're not the people who listen to that or who, right. who need to hear that. Uh, nothing in nature is perfect. That's how evolution worked. Art is not perfect. The moment it becomes perfect, it becomes handicrafts. That's the nature of genius is imperfection. So we are not perfect. The moment you become perfect, you pretty much are, a, a, I don't know, organic organ, organism, <laughs> but, but not a real human being. So uh, asking for perfection or chasing perfection is, uh, is such a futile task and, and it's, uh, it's such a struggle and it's not a very pleasant type of life. But then uh, we, some of us have the perfectionist streak. I'm a perfectionist, forever perfectionist. Uh, <laughs> but the question is not, um, with my perfectionism, the question is not how do I get rid of it, but how do I learn to tame it? How do I, uh, you know, a friend of mine, he, he unfortunately, he has passed away already, but he, his mom used to say, are you going to make it your curse or your blessing? And maybe that's a good starting point. Mm. Just look at look at the things and ask yourself rather than rather than uh, you know seeing them as 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 problems as troubles as something which makes you so specially <laughs> especially different and 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 that's why you can't follow <laughs> you can't follow uh, good advice. Just ask yourself: Do you do you want to make it your curse or your blessing? You know, it's your choice. It's always your choice to make it your curse or your blessing. I think it's such a wonderful thing. But how it all starts? It starts with awareness. That's the basic skill that you need for any kind of change. Yeah. You need to you need to start being aware of what's going on in your head, what's going on in your life, in your environment. And awareness usually opens doors for a lot of things because you start noticing things, you find the motivation to want to change them. Uh, and, and that's the fundamental skill for any kind of transformation. Let's love to hear a couple of very specific, the more specific, the better. How, <laughs> how might someone begin to learn this process of awareness? What are some you know, some hacks or some activities, some habits to build around becoming more self-aware? So awareness is like a super skill or a habit, a superpower. Uh, and uh, the very simple exercise to start with is to set alarms uh, on your phone or whatever it is that you, uh, you carry with you all the time. Five to 10, the moment it rings, you remind yourself and put it at random times, like, I don't know, 4.33, something like this. And whenever it rings, uh, take a moment of awareness if you can, unless you're like driving and, and you can't do that at that moment. But take a moment of awareness, which is really simple. You can, if you can, slow down, close your eyes, listen to the sounds, feel 
listen to your body. What do you feel? What, what were you thinking right now? What were you doing? Usually if I do any trainings, whether it's uh, online trainings or through the book, I actually give twists to this exercise over and over again. Uh, because one, one of the things is to practice this habit of switching on awareness. The other one, which is a little bit more elaborate is anchoring the habit of awareness to certain situations that you need to pay attention to. So a very simple example would be if you want to change your eating habits, you would have to anchor your uh, practice of awareness to every time when you are around food. Uh, because this is the triggering situation where you need to bring awareness. I don't talk, talk about nutrition, by the way, <laughs> just <laughs> used it as an example. <laughs> sure. So that's, that's a very simple practice. I would suggest you do it for about 30 days at least, just so that you have a good variety of situations to, to be aware about. And a very important aspect about this practice is do it with curiosity rather than judgment. And your goal is not to live perfectly. Your goal is just to notice what's going on. In fact, I will encourage you not to make any changes. Maybe your alarm goes off when you are uh, winding yourself up and going into this destructive pattern of, you know, whatever it is, destructive pattern. Just notice with curiosity and say, wow, that's what I'm doing right now. And that's it. Don't try to change it. You will want to change it after 30 days. <laughs> and it won't even need an effort. So true. And there's so many, you know, you give the example of being around food or, but these also can be very simple, right? This can be like every time you walk through a doorway or every time mm -hmm. you touch a door handle or every time you, you know, trying to find something that you do, you know, 10 or 20 times a day, for example. Um, it, I've found my wife is a meditation and an awareness practitioner and, um, I started experimenting with this process a number of years ago, and it was mind boggling to have these alarms go off or these check-in moments throughout your day and just realize how far afield my mind was from the present moment. There was this gap, this massive gap between my ability to be present and you know, the alarm would go off and I would be solving a problem that I didn't have <laughs> two, two years in the future. I'm like, oh, if this and this and this, and you know, and, and then you, the alarm goes off and you're like, how this is so not useful or helpful. Yeah. So, the, so the question, assuming, you know, you, you've got some people, some listeners here who are willing to say, okay, I find value in this, or I can see the value in this. How do we then, you know, what's the leap that we, we take from becoming aware and becoming sort of present and an actual transformation? What's the gap there? Okay, I do this for 30 days. What, mm -hmm. I, what I notice is that I'm increasingly not present when I'm at work or when I'm with you know, there are people around me that I, you know, distrust or are not, I'm not there by my choosing. These are my work peers or whatever. What's the gap? Help us close the gap rather between, mm. you know, this awareness practice and actually transforming into the, you know, the... You know I'll say that probably uh, unpopular thing, but there right. is no gap. That's mm. the, that's the beauty of the process. There is no gap. And again, which assumption do we go from? 
Do we go from the assumption that people need to be uh, frightened into, uh, into growth and transformation? You know, it has to come through punishment. If you don't do that, you know how uh, in, in our industry, we have those uh, exercises, which is super helpful, by the way. You know, if you keep doing that, picture yourself five years from now. How is your life going to be? And then 10 years from now. And that comes from the idea of punishment. You have to punish yourself into change. Because if you don't change, you're going to, I don't know, suffer and die. Uh, but my assumption is that if you build up that relationship with yourself, you will discover that you're a wonderful human being. You're neither lazy nor stupid. When you start noticing things, that's when you will actually start changing them. Even if you practice this, if you do this practice without judgment, if you see that something is wrong or something doesn't work for you, you will naturally stop doing it. Or if you see that you're not doing something, you will naturally start doing new things. But just you just need to notice. And that's the beauty of this practice. And a lot of, a lot of the times people don't give it enough. Maybe, I, I really don't know. I haven't researched it as much uh, because it's uh, it's only a fundamental skill on, on the journey that I help people to go through. But I, I think that there must be some glitch in the system if awareness alone doesn't give you everything that you need to change for the better. I, in fact, I think it's a superpower. It's like, it's like you know, in, um, the, the, in X-Men, there's Quicksilver who has the super speed. And when he's in his uh, super speed mode, the whole world just slows down and he can fix it. And then the world goes back into the uh, normal speed. I, I think that's what awareness gives you. It allows you to see, dissect life, see the anatomy of it and decide Am I going to go this way or that way in the process? And uh, and very often we rely, and our industry is also built on that, on the idea that you need superpower. Oh, sorry, not superpower. You need willpower. You need mm -hmm. willpower. You need discipline. You need certain ways to make yourself do things. Well, I have bad news. Willpower doesn't last and it doesn't even work too much. It's an exhaustible resource, which not only is exhaustible, but the moment you use up your willpower, let's say, on starting a new diet, you're going to suck it up from all the other areas of your life. And you will suddenly discover that you are a little bit more snappy, a little bit less patient, and so on and so on. The only place where I want to use my willpower is patience with myself and with the world. Everything else can work on other fuel. Willpower is not a good fuel for change. A good fuel for change is motivation, obviously intrinsic motivation where you are motivated by the process not by the results but by the process and that comes through awareness let's talk you know you bring up the the uh superhero and there's a great quote i always love the you know the quotes at the beginning of the chapters that are truly just truly land and you've got one uh, that I've marked here in my book, the the paradox of masks, and I think it has to do a lot with how you how you show up in the world and what you represent as the world, you know, sometimes versus what you you truly are. And this um, this quote goes like this: You can't wear a mask, Clark. When people see you and can see the things you can do, the power you have. They'll be terrified. They need to be able to look into your eyes, see your face so that they can see the decency and kindness that's always there and know they have nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. Talk to me about that. 
Well, that, I, I think uh, I think the why I love this quote is that it has this core principle that we are actually humans are actually beautiful. And this is Mark Martha Kent and Clark Kent. It's from Super from Superman. Superman. Yeah. Yes, I actually I actually had to remove a lot of wonderful quotes because uh, you know uh, getting them cleared with the uh, owners. <laughs> took much longer. So now I'm praying for the second edition of my book so that I get to restore some of the quotes. There have been really beautiful quotes. <laughs> uh, but, but, this, uh, but this, again, the, uh, the, uh, I'm, uh, in sharing this, there's a there's a beautiful thing. Again, this is Superman. Yeah. This is Superman's wife, Clark Kent's wife, Martha Kent. is like, you have to be who you are. You have to basically yeah. show up in the world. And you start to wear this mask and it's, you know, people aren't going to be able to see you for who you really are, which is not going to be valuable. It's not going to help. It's only going to continue yeah. to compound your problems. So what's well, that? Let's let's move this over to our, in, our, our human existence. Go ahead, please. Human existence. <laughs> well, in the more scientific terms, there is uh, such a wonderful author and speaker as Brené Brown, who talks about vulnerability quite a bit and shame. And she uh, she she popularized that research that there are three component components which are needed uh, for people to create strong connections. And these are, uh, you know, the courage I, uh, from my memory, maybe I'll, I'll butcher it a little bit. So bear with me. So one of them is definitely, uh, to believe that you're lovable the way you are, mm -hmm. to have courage to show, uh, the world who, the, uh, who you really are. And the third one is probably also about vulnerability, but the thing, the point is that you, for you to create a strong connection, you have to be, uh, to, to be yourself. Because the moment you're not yourself, the connection is not there. And that's the paradox of the mask. We very often try to be someone else so that we are liked. But we, are, we can be truly and profoundly liked only when we show up as ourselves. People don't truly and profoundly like masks or roles or costumes or scripts. That's an illusion. And uh, if we talk about research, there's another research which uh, is uh, known to be the world... Uh, the world's human, humanity's longest psychological research on uh, the correlations between happiness and different factors in our life. And the biggest correlation is between, well, between happiness and the strength of your connections. So the more you have people who are close to you in your life, the more likely you are to live a happy life. So uh, the ability to remove masks is really crucial if you want to truly enjoy this journey on the, on the planet. <laughs> Yeah. And this, this is, you know, you, you referenced Dr. Brene Brown's dear friend uh, of ours been on the, my, mine has been, I, I was thinking ours because myself and my wife, Kate, but she's been on the show. Maybe she has the most appearances, maybe four times or whatever. And this, it was major. It was a major breakthrough. I think culturally when she was able to popularize through research the yeah. the benefits of vulnerability and that's really what we're talking about right we're using the analog of masks but mask is just pretending to be someone that we're not and to actually be your true self is <laughs> to be vulnerable so what let's you know excavate here just a little bit scratch on <laughs> this what what are some prompts or some thoughts that you could give someone in order to start to um, shed some of these masks. We all have them. 
Do you so, have any, are there any sort of awareness bits that you could give us to start to shed some of these things or become aware when we put them on so that we can shed them? <laughs> I'm going to make a little uh, sharp turn right now. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll follow you. Let's go. First, first of all, I, do, I don't uh, insist that you absolutely need to be vulnerable for authenticity. You mm. need vulnerability to create connections. And I appreciate that uh, that as a very important skill. But my, journey, my, my, my book and my journey is, or the journey that I hope the people who read my book will have, is about your relationship with yourself. And here, uh, you're only vulnerable towards yourself. And you are definitely vulnerable because if, you are re- if you're looking for courage, <laughs> that means that you're vulnerable. But it's, it's not vulnerability in the sense in which we understand. Because I know, uh, also having been in this industry, I know a lot of people are not comfortable about that. And that shouldn't be, uh, that shouldn't be a deal breaker for you to explore your relationship with yourself. Mm. Because here, it's just you and you. The rest of the world can wait. It wasn't a uh, part of my study. I, I, in fact, I say in my book that I believe that your relationship with the world is a reflection of your relationship with yourself. And at that, I leave your relationship with the world because I think I'm much more concerned with how, you know, uh, how honest, how kind you are to yourself. These two things are incredibly important. Uh, how honest and how, how kind you are to yourself. But as as I said, I tend to rant, and now I forgot what was the initial question that I was supposed to answer. No, it, it's it's mostly... oh the masks, the masks. Yeah, yeah. The, the the sharp turn comes here. It's okay that we wear masks. It's fine. It's part of healthy, emotionally healthy behavior. We have to adjust ourselves to our circumstances. Circumstances change and we have to behave slightly differently. The problem is, there are two problems. Problem number one, from which the second problem stems, is that we value certain masks over others. In scientific terms, it's called social roles. So we tend to value social roles, which are valued by society. Obviously, we personally also value them higher, and we tend to prioritize them over other roles. Very simple example. If um, I'm a mother and I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneur is valued much higher by society. So when my mother and my entrepreneur is in conflict, at least outwardly, I would, uh, you know, I would prioritize being something which society values higher rather than the other. And I know it's a, it's a maybe painful comparison. Another one would be woman leader. Uh, and, and these roles are very often uh, contradictory in, in their expressions. So that's the first problem is when we start prioritizing one role over the other, uh, and, and it will happen. Now, the question is, how do you feel about the role which you do prioritize? And the other question is, do you sometimes forget that you have other social roles? Another, maybe a little bit bizarre example, if you're a celebrity or influencer and you forget that to some people you're just a brother or a sister or a friend and you forget to remove that role or if you're a very successful entrepreneur and you forget that you're a daddy for someone and you carry this into circumstances where this, this role is not only inappropriate, it's irrelevant and maybe even damaging. So this is where the problem is. I have no problems with people wearing masks and changing their social roles because people who don't do that, they're not very uh, comfortable. No, well, comfortable is a bad word, but they're not very uh, good members of society. They can be very destructive. Mm. A lot of, (laughs) you you mentioned narcissists, I think, (laughs) or maybe I am confusing, but narcissists are the people who are not very comfortable and they are very, like, uh, anyway, I don't want to go in that in, yeah. in, in, in that direction. But the point is that 
it's a healthy thing to do. What is not healthy is when you uh, when you get stuck in one of them. Mm-hmm. Your avatars don't see eye to eye, I think is how you put it in the book, right? With yeah. These different aspects of yourself. So how do we then, is it about, is it about um, how do we become better at showing up as who we really are and how do we not carry the wrong masks into mm. the wrong, into the wrong rooms? How do we not show up for our son or daughter <laughs> as, as the boss at work? <laughs> well, a lot of the times when we do that, that's a symptom of, uh, of our relationship actually being, um, uh, well, being at a at a low state, you know, it's complicated, like they say in Facebook. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's usually a symptom, and I wouldn't um, probably I wouldn't want to give uh, to give answers to such questions because it's it would be dealing with the symptoms when in reality you need to come to peace with who you are fully. Mm. So what I I would like to maybe and and sorry if I'm evading the question a little no, bit. No. I do it deliberately, but I want to. I want to say that you know, authenticity uh, for me, it's a result of you uh, fixing your relationship with yourself. So it's it's usually the sign of your healthy relationship. So basically, if you are at peace with yourself, if you're authentic, it's only about you. Authenticity, in my opinion, is a force without direction. The moment you give it direction, it stops being authenticity. You start using it as a mask, as a role, as something to manipulate the world. And I'm not using the word manipulate in a bad sense. So authenticity is just your relationship with yourself and no one else. And, And that's the key. And the thing is that the moment you, the moment you remember who you are, or you've hear again how you listen remember you come the moment you come to peace with that you just cannot be someone else it's like asking uh, asking um you know emotionally healthy person to jump off the building you won't do that it's it's just contrary to what you are so the the moment you remember who you are what your values are uh, what you what your unique value is being something else is going to feel like a betrayal and you can do it in small doses, but then you will need time to heal again. Mm. So I believe that the man who remembers that he's not just entrepreneur and when he remembers the value of him as a human being, as a soul, I think that person won't be able to be next to their family, to the people who love them and not be just present. Personal question: What made you write the book? I I believe that I'm a writer, and I just never realized that because I always I always wrote things, <laughs> and writers write. That's the form of self expression. I, I also studied art when I was a, a kid. So you know, when you when you have an art, you're compelled to do that. So writing is is my thing, and uh, nothing ever happens with just one thing working in that direction. Another reason is, uh, having been in this industry for 20 years, and I'm the person who's always in my head, (laughs) uh, having witnessed it, and I I have this uh, funny way of of, uh, computational thinking, I think it's called. (laughs) So 
a message kind of evolved uh, as a result of my experience. And it's like with pregnancy, once the baby is ready, you can't hold it and you have to deliver it. So that was another reason. And the third one is very prosaic, uh, COVID, and I had a lot of time on my hands. I want to say thank you for uh, showing up and taking this. This is very murky territory for so many people, myself included. This, you know, this the journey inward is complex and fascinating. And your, you know, consistent framing and reframing of just approaching this with curiosity um, is very refreshing in this this field. You keep talking about the industry and I'm presuming you're talking about sort of the personal transformation, personal growth industry. But I do think that this approaching this journey as I'm, you know, thinking about the people who are listening right now um, or for whom this material may be new, this a desire, a willingness, an openness to be curious rather than judgmental, as you've said two or three times here, um, it's very present in your work. And it's, I think it's, it's one of the attributes of doing this work that has been largely misunderstood. There's so much judgment around, um, you know, self-judgment, for example, like, why am I doing this journey? What, you know, I, I'm, um, I'm a terrible person or I'm perfect. These are, it tends to be super polarizing, but it seems like everywhere in your work is this a curiosity, like, you know, you, you close the book with, um, with a story of revealing to to your mother i was very touched by this story revealing to your mother that you and your husband were at the time were going to split and you when you shared this with her you shared in the book that she she basically blew up she got super mad and was ranting and that from some part of you was able in that moment to park the idea of scrapping it out right now of telling the, telling her all the reasons that her judgment was not the right judgment and that you know your decision was made you did you just chose not to basically lock horns with her and it, it's just a really beautiful piece of the book and i'm wondering is that sort of the is that the um is that the bow that living through difficult things gets you does it get you that that distance between re, between feeling something seeing something experiencing something and reacting is that the is that the real benefit of this work of being curious about it like you you talk about mm -hmm. this i'm going to describe it like you're watching your mom i think it was visual you're watching your mom get angry you can see her you t you joked earlier about hearing her breathing and and, <laughs> and but there's just such a, such a poetry. And then of course you go on to say, cool. Then we took some time and then your mom actually called you and you guys had a, a heartfelt, earnest, just beautiful conversation about the tough life decision that you had just made. So mm. at the she end of our days, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. This, this uh, experience was very um, important in my life for sure. She, my mom taught me a very deep, profound lesson uh, and it's, it's a hard one. It's a very deep philosophical concept. And I, I believe that if we just touch it on the surface right now, it might not be fair to that concept. But the concept is that everybody has the right to their journey. 
including the people that we love. And sometimes we have to let them do that journey. And our journey is to witness them doing it and sometimes disagreeing. Like in the case with my mom and me, uh, none of us could agree with each other's, you know, I couldn't agree with her reaction. She couldn't agree with my, with my choice. But uh, ultimately, philosophically speaking, uh, we have to have enough trust, not just in ourselves, but in people that we love, that they're doing whatever they're doing. And maybe you disagree with that. The best thing I can do for the people that I love is be always there with that for them. You know, keep my light on for them. And that's that's uh, uh, that's a very important concept for me to to follow in my life and in my relationships. It has made a lot of things easier, but it took time to take root, uh, especially with my ex-husband. You know how we are so tempted to fix our partners. <laughs> but the moment when we parted and I started more and more reminding myself that it's just his journey. And even if I disagree, all, the only thing I can do for him is have his back. And that really helps me through a lot of things. And sometimes I just have to be accepting with certain things. Yeah, I would have preferred him doing something else or my children doing something else or my parents doing something else. But uh, who am I to judge what's best for them? And that's, that's again, I, I don't want to stage. I, I mean, we are going to stage just on the surface, but let it be a cliffhanger, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some other time we'll talk about that. Uh, but uh, the, the bow that you were talking about, uh, this actually comes through the work of a few, uh, a few contemporary authors. Uh, Brené Brown, one of them. Uh, Susan David is another one that I really love. So it's the idea of, of the space between your emotions and your decisions and your choices. And I think it's very important to understand in our society, we very often judge emotions, but rather than judging emotions, we should let them be. And I, again, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole and just to remind ourselves that our actions don't need to be based on our emotions. They can be based in our uh, values. So for example, I get really angry, but rather than reacting out of this intense emotion, I can take a breath, maybe employ curiosity and wonder, wow, I wonder why I'm feeling like that. Am I, do I even know the whole story? You know, I can ask a whole lot of questions. I'm good at asking questions, but that give me, gives me that pause to finally ask the important question, how do I choose to act in this situation? And usually, usually my choice is not to act out of my intense emotion because emotions change, but out of my values and out of what makes me me. This is the basis for my, well, as much as I can do that. I'm imperfect. I mean, we are always work in progress. <laughs> so I have my share of, oh, I'm so sorry I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the blend of the words awesome and flawed, right? Flossom. And the, the book is Becoming Flossom, The Key to Living an Imperfectly Authentic Life. I want to say thank you so much for being a guest on our show as you said, the cliffhanger is to pick up the book. It's out now. By the time this uh, this drops, you will be able to get this wherever books are sold. Um, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Is there anywhere else that you would direct our listeners for your the work that you do in the world beyond just the book, which I just shared shared there? Oh, you know, I do a lot of stuff. And I have I have a full spectrum <laughs> of things happening in my life. I have sheep, for example. <laughs> <laughs> but that aside, uh, Christina Mund, uh, I'm uh, on, on all social media as Christina Mund. Instagram is my preferred place, but I'm also in, in all the other places. And it's Christina with a K because I'm Estonian. <laughs> love it. Love it. K R I S T I N A M 
A-N-D. Thank you so much again for being a guest on the show and sharing your journey and this wonderful work work that you've put in there. It's again, it's such a lovely, um, it's an assembly of so many different aspects that have been popular on the show for a long time. You've done just a beautiful job of sewing them together for us. Thank you for being on the show. And uh, until next time, from Christina and myself, we wish you a, an amazing day, a lovely week. And until next time, we both bid you adieu. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. <music>